All right, let's open our Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 today. Matthew 28. This is Matthew's account of the resurrection story. We're going to read the chapter. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1. So this on Easter or on Resurrection Sunday, really every Sunday's Resurrection Sunday, right? I, I kind of have this tendency to want to kick against this idea that we need to have a special day and, and, and that it is a special day and it's good to commemorate that day and have that special day, but that special day or this special day should not supersede every other Sunday and every other day. Because Jesus is not just resurrected one time a year. Jesus is the resurrection. He is the life. And that resurrection and that life is real to us and part of us and gives us life and sustains us every day, not just on Sunday, but on Monday and on Wednesday and on Thursday all day, every day. This is the reality and the truth that we live in. So I want to encourage you to take heart and to rejoice, not just today, but every day, because Jesus is risen. And any given day that someone might walk up to you and say, Jesus is risen, your response should be, He is risen indeed. And we take hope and we take courage because he has overcome sin and he has overcome death. And because he has, if we are in him, we have too. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. So let's read Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and, the, and the, the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests and all the things that had happened. 
And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed to them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus has been a controversial figure from his birth, threatening the status quo and the powers that be by his mere existence on this earth. His resurrection is no less controversial and no less threatening to the powers that be. The risen Christ not only threatened the status quo, his resurrection threatened the entire power structure of his day. His resurrection will continue to threaten the power structures of this world until its end. Kings and kingdoms, powers and principalities continue to rise and fall here on earth and in heavenly places according to the will of God. Jesus will continue to conquer until his last enemy, death, is put underfoot you do realize that the world does not want you to believe that. The world wants you to believe just the opposite. The world wants you to believe that Jesus is dead, that God is dead, that it's all a myth, that religion will never do anything but harm and divide and destroy. This world does not want you to believe in Jesus. This world does not want you to look to God, to trust in God. And this is not a new phenomenon. This has been the case since the beginning. All the way back to the garden. When we see the serpent deceiving Adam and Eve. And the same lie that the serpent gave to man in the beginning. Is the same lie that we are fed. Through our news feeds. Through our internet services. Through our newspapers and our radios. Our televisions. It's all around us. The world does not want us to believe the truth, so it espouses a lie. And it's very good at telling the lie. And sadly, people are very good at falling for the lie. Because it's easier for us to sometimes believe what we see instead of what God has declared. The conquest of Jesus, though, marches on as he conquers hearts and minds through the power of the gospel. To see his kingdom come, to see his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we must seek for our own personal kingdoms to be conquered. Our personal kingdoms exist in our own hearts, in our own minds. 
and they're often established according to our, to our own self-will, which is in opposition to God's will. And these things must be conquered by the power of the resurrected Christ and His gospel. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that conquers the empires of this world, will conquer the empires and the strongholds of sin that exist in our hearts and in our minds. This will be done by God's grace. This must be done by God's grace. And those things must be conquered within us. And along with the hope of heaven that the day of Christ's resurrection reminds us of, it should also remind us that there is a battle at hand, there is a kingdom to be won, there is ground to be taken, and the battle and the kingdom and the ground that must be taken first is not some piece of geography on planet earth, it is the very ground, the very kingdom, the very throne, the very places that are within our hearts, that are within us. The call to follow Jesus is a call to take up our cross in order to lay down our life. To be crucified and buried with him in his death is to be raised with him in his life. This is the power and the promise of Christ's resurrection. It's not just a promise of heaven when we die. It's a promise of a changed and a transformed life as we live. Romans 6 Verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. If you have been raised up by Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, trusting in the work of the Savior, there is a newness of life that God says you must walk in. And that newness of life will manifest in us and through us if we have been truly saved. We have been raised up in Christ by faith so that we would walk in His new life. Our new life in Christ is only possible because Christ is risen. Christ is risen. This is good news that provides real hope with real faith to overcome the real problems and the real challenges that face us in this world. And it gives us the faith and the power to obey His commands. Christ is risen. Therefore, we have hope in the midst of all things. Jesus overcame sin and death to rise from the grave. His victory gives us reason to hope in the midst of our darkest hour and most impossible circumstance. For as Jesus has overcome, so we too are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. As we trust in Christ, his victory over sin and death assures our victory in all things, even in the midst of death, even in the face of death. Christ is risen, therefore we have a message to tell. 
Jesus tells the women to go quickly and tell his disciples the good news that Christ is risen. Contrast that with the guards who bent under the appeal of a bribe and the pressure from the world to tell a lie. You realize the women were not the only ones that were witnesses of the resurrection. In Matthew's gospel, we see that the guards were there and the guards saw the stone rolled away. The guards saw the angels come. The guards fell as if dead in the presence of those holy angels. And those guards knew that Jesus was raised from the dead. And they went back and they reported it to their leaders. But instead of clinging to the truth and proclaiming the truth, they bent under the pressure and they bought the lie and they told the lie. Christ is risen. We have a truth to tell to confront the lie of this world that God is dead or at best less than who he has declared himself to be. Because Christ is risen, we can be sure that our message is one of truth and hope in the face of a world without hope, captured by a lie. The truth of the risen Christ is the only truth that can set men free. Christ is risen, therefore we have opposition in this world. You wonder sometimes why, as a Christian, you face opposition? I've heard people, people have actually told me, you know, my life was better before I became a Christian. I was better off as an unbeliever as, as I am right now as a believer. It seems like the moment I put my trust in Christ, all hell came against me. Well, it, well, it probably did. No doubt it did. Because the world and hell have always been opposing Christ. The religious rulers and the powers that be at the time of Christ's resurrection knew Jesus was risen. Don't be mistaken into thinking that those rulers didn't know Jesus was raised from the dead. They absolutely knew he was raised from the dead. And they absolutely knew by what power he was raised from the dead. The religious rulers and the powers that be at the time of Jesus' resurrection knew he was risen. Theirs was not a case of doubt and disbelief at the miracle of his resurrection, but a case of militant rebellion against the risen Lord. And this is what we face in the world today. This is not simple unbelief, and we just need to be better at convincing people of the truth. If that's what you believe, you need to reorient yourself because that's not the problem the problem is not that you or I or anyone else hasn't done a good enough job of convincing people why they should believe in Jesus that's not the problem the problem is not ignorance and unbelief the problem is militant rebellion against the Lord of creation this is what we see in these rulers this is what we see in the rulers of our day today you think it's an accident that they're pushing for not just late-term abortions, but abortion right up to the birth of a child? And if they can do that, they will push that further. There are people actually making arguments. You know, say, well, that's, that's extreme. They're in the minority. There are people saying that a mother should have the choice whether to keep her baby, not up to the moment of birth, but hours and perhaps even days after the birth until she can get reoriented and figure out whether she really wants to keep that child or not. And we say that would never happen. Really? 
Well, who would have believed what is happening today would have happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago? No one would have believed it, or not very many people. But if you understand the depravity of man, the sinfulness of man, it really should not surprise us. So we're not dealing with simple unbelief or disbelief. We're dealing with militant rebellion against God. The rulers of this world refuse to acknowledge the resurrection of Christ in an attempt to preserve their own power and their own position. They did this by paying off their guards who were their very own eyewitnesses and perpetrating a lie. And that modus operandi is still at work today. This is the mode of operation in the world. This is what the world does. It perpetuates the lie to oppose the truth. And it perpetuates that lie on unsuspecting, gullible people. Now, if we're in the world and we're blind and we're deaf and we're dead in sin, I get that. What I don't get and what is most frustrating and what should be most concerning is when the church, the professed church, whether they're really the church or not, God will sort all of that out in the end. But at least there are many who are professing to be the church, professing to be followers of Christ, who are promoting these things and perpetuating these lies. And it's not our place to just simply be nice and wish they would stop. It is our place to just as militantly oppose them as they perpetuate the lie. We need to press the truth because the truth is the only thing that will set men free. The world is still opposing Christ with a lie. And the world's opposition to the resurrection of Christ and the message of the gospel is a direct power struggle with God. It is sinful man's suppression of the truth in unrighteousness and his refusal to submit to God. Man is always tempted and always attempting, listen church, to create God in man's own image. This is because man is willing to submit to a God as far as that God is conformed to man's image. In other words, if God can be successfully recast in the image of man, there will no longer be any need to oppose God. This is turning the creator into the creature. This is man's worship of himself in the place of God. The creator can never be conformed to the creature. It is the creature that must be conformed to the creator. The world's attempt to recast God in the image of man is nothing more than the same old lie that was working in the beginning. Listen to Paul's words from Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, 
even this eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. The world cannot acknowledge the truth of the risen Christ and his gospel because their acknowledgement would mean their accountability to it. The world stands in opposition to Christ in the gospel because Christ in the gospel stands in opposition to the world. And this is true at every level. It's true at an international level, a national level, a state level, county level, a local level, it's true right here in our own hearts. What authority will we submit to? What God will we submit to? Will we submit to the authority of God's word, his scripture? Will we submit to the authority of the creator God, the one true and living God? Or will we cast for ourselves and create for ourselves our own God in our own image Make him like a man, but call him a God and worship him because he is what we want him to be. And he allows us to believe what we choose to believe and live the way we choose to live. Some may think that we're at a stalemate, but there is no stalemate. God will have his way and the victory has already been won. Christ is risen. He has won the victory, and he will defeat and put underfoot all of his enemies down to the last one, which is death. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are children born of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We believe, therefore, we will overcome the world. 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He who is he, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Christ is risen, therefore we have reason to overcome our doubts. We may not be in opposition to the truth the same way the world is, but we all have our own doubts and we must acknowledge and deal with those doubts honestly. Thomas doubted the risen Christ. The disciples came and they told Thomas, we've seen the risen Lord, and Thomas says, I'll not believe it unless I can put my hands in the nail prints. And in that very moment, Jesus appeared in that room with his disciples and to Thomas. And Thomas put his hands into the wounds of Jesus. And Thomas fell down before the risen Savior with the mark still from his crucifixion and said, my Lord, my God. And Thomas 
Doubting Thomas, that's where that phrase comes from, confessed his faith to the Lord on his knees before the Lord. Thomas doubted the risen Christ, but Thomas humbled himself before the resurrected Christ and confessed his faith. In the midst of our doubt, that is exactly what we need to do, is humble ourselves. And even in our doubt, confess to the Lord. Yes, our doubts, but yes, also our faith. Just like the man who said to Jesus, I believe, Lord, help thou my unbelief. No one has perfect faith. No one has complete faith. Our faith is not based on our perfect ability to believe. Our faith is based on the perfect work of a perfect Savior. And He has revealed Himself risen from the dead. Risen in resurrection life and resurrection power. And the spirit that lives on the inside of you bears witness that you are children of God. That's what Paul writes. That's what the scripture teaches us. That the spirit of God on the inside of us bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When Thomas fell before Jesus and he says, my Lord, my God. And Jesus says these words to Thomas. He says, Thomas, blessed are you because having seen you believe. But even more blessed are those who believe, having not seen. That's us today. I don't know about you, but I've never seen the physical risen Jesus. But I believe in Him because I've seen Him by faith. I know Him by faith. His Spirit lives on the inside of me. And I have a witness in me that I am a child of God, not because I believe perfectly, not because I live perfectly, not because I do everything perfectly, because I do most things imperfectly. I'm a very imperfect person. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. She'll tell you. Ask my children. They'll tell you. And our salvation is not based on our perfection. It is based on the perfection of Jesus. And our faith is in Jesus. And even in the midst of your doubting, you can confess your faith and ask God to help you with your unbelief. And He will absolutely do that. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus could not see Christ in His resurrection because they only could see Him in His death. They saw Jesus dead on the cross. And as they walked down that road and talked with Jesus, they could not see the resurrected Lord because the only thing their eyes could see was Jesus in his death. We may sometimes find ourselves succumbing to doubt instead of overcoming it. This is why it's important to remember that we are people who walk by faith and not by sight. We are people open to the impossible, for we know the power of the resurrected Christ. Left unchallenged, our doubts can keep us from experiencing the fullness of Christ in His resurrection life and resurrection power. We must confront our doubts, confess our sin, and take courage and faith, knowing that with God all things are possible. Many times the problem is not an inability to believe God for the answer, are you listening? It is our unwillingness to accept 
the answer God may be willing to give us. Very often times, what we call doubt is really not our, in, it's not our inability to believe God. It's our unwillingness to accept what we are afraid God might have for us. We know God will answer. The question is, will God answer in the way that we want him to? And that's what we often don't know, and that's what creates the fear and the doubt within us. It's not really questioning whether God can do it or not. It's questioning what will God do. And this is the point of faith. Faith trusts God no matter what he does. Faith trusts God no matter what answer he gives. Faith trusts in God no matter what the outcome may be. Because who we are in Christ and the promises we have in Christ are not dependent upon all the outcomes in this earth and in our life. They are absolutely, though, dependent upon what Jesus has already done, what he has already accomplished, what he has already demonstrated, what he has already promised to make so now and for all eternity. Because he is risen. He is not in the tomb. He is not dead. He is the risen Christ, the risen Savior. And we have that hope. And that hope is real no matter what happens in our life here on this earth. We must learn to trust his will even when it is not our own. His resurrection give us, gives us the most powerful reason to do that. I want you to think about this. Nothing appeared more hopeless than Jesus hanging dead and lifeless, bloody and beat to a pulp on the cross. Yet there is nothing that has ever provided more hope. And this is why we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is trusting God beyond what we can see and beyond what we cannot see. Christ is risen and this is why our doubts and defeats are swallowed up in his faith and his victory. Christ is risen, therefore we have disciples to make. Even as the women were commanded to go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen, we are commanded by Jesus to go and to make disciples of all the nations. That can sound like we are presented with the choice of going off somewhere to serve God on a mission field in some foreign land versus staying here and living a normal life life. Normal is not defined by us. It is defined by God. Wherever we live and whatever our hands find to do, what is normal for every believer is to be and to make disciples right where we are while we are doing whatever it is we find ourselves doing. Normal for some may be God's call to a foreign land to make disciples, but normal for most people for most of us, will be God calling you right where you are to make disciples, in your home, in your office, in private, or in public, at work, or at play. We are commanded to make disciples. God calls us to be and to make disciples as the normal course of life for every believer. To go and to make disciples is normal not for pastors, not for missionaries, not for evangelists, not for prophets and teachers. It's normal for every believer 
no matter what your calling or vocation may be, no matter what your age may be. It is the normal course of life for every believer. Christ is risen and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He has given us his name with his authority and has commanded us to go and to make disciples of the nations. He commands us to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He commands us to teach them to obey all that he has commanded. And he reminds us to remember that he is with us even to the end of the age. Even when we cannot see him, we are to remember and to know that he will never leave us and never forsake us. Sometimes the sheep walk through the valley of the shadow of death and in the darkness they cannot see the shepherd, but I promise you the shepherd is never apart from his sheep. He is with them to comfort them. Christ is risen. We have every reason to obey his command with the expectancy of a faithful farmer who plants and waters and waits for God to bring the increase. Christ is risen. Therefore, we have an abiding Savior for Jesus is risen. He is not dead. He is alive. He is not lying in a tomb somewhere hidden in the Middle East. He is risen and has ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ is risen. There is no need to fear. Our contentment is in him, for he is with us even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, the writer of Hebrews pins these words, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Is the fact, is the promise that the Lord is with us and that he will never leave us, does that give us a contentment no matter what? That's a difficult question because we very often find, find ourselves discontent but yet God says we have been given the very thing that should make for our contentment in all things. We have been given Christ. God has given to us His Son. And He has promised that He will never leave us and never forsake us. So we have no reason to fear. And we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Christ is risen, fear not, be of good courage, for I am with you, says the Lord. He is risen, Christ invites us to rise up and to join him at his table, to feast on his bread and to drink his cup, and in doing so we proclaim his death even until he comes again. You will eat no greater feast today than the feast the Lord has prepared for us at his table even though you're going to get a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice, there is no greater feast you can eat than the feast prepared at his table. Because this feast is the declaration of his body and his blood, his bread and his wine that he has poured into us for our healing and for our life. Amen?
as you trust in Jesus, as you are professed and joyful members of this covenant with Christ, I invite you to come to the table to partake of His bread and to drink His cup and so proclaim the body and the blood of Jesus to His glory, for He is the risen Savior. And that is good news. Christian, come to the table. Let's stand. Christ is risen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for us. His resurrection has provided us the greatest hope with the greatest promise and the greatest victory that has already been secured in Him. Live your faith with absolute confidence. Walk out your faith boldly and loudly in opposition to the lie all around you and know that we cannot lose, for Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.